Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, Jim, for the songs. Don and Jim are good about calling and wanting to know what's the topic, and you have any songs. And sometimes the topic doesn't lend itself very well to certain to any songs in the book, but. Jim, I think you did a good job today. Appreciate those songs. And Don always does as well. Luke 4. Let's just read this. 17 to 19. You got your little slip there, I hope. You can look at that. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, meaning Jesus. Uh, this is when he was in the synagogue at Nazareth and beginning his ministry. This is a, was a, not only was a common practice, but as I understand it is still the practice in synagogues today where they read from the Torah and the prophetic writings in the synagogue. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and began to say to them, Today... The scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I think at times we tend to limit the mission of Jesus. I know I've read that over before and I try to jam all that in there to just a proclamation of the gospel and man's salvation. But now I think that's wrong. Jesus came to deal with sin. Not just the fact that mankind is lost in sin, but all the various aspects of sin and how sin permeates our world and is destructive to relationships, to lives, and how that it just has its wicked hand on everything. And I think that's what this prophecy is about, and I think in our lesson today we're going to see that. And if you just reflect on the ministry of Jesus, you will see that he dealt with more than, I just come to die for you. If he just came to die for us, why did he go through all the other rigmarole of healing people, of feeding people, of encouraging people. Why bother? See what I mean? I think that's what the prophecy was, and I think that's what Jesus did. That his attack against evil was a multi-pronged attack, and attacked it in every place, all the wickedness that there was. I think too often we've been naive about thinking that all we have to do is bring someone to Christ in baptism 
and everything will be all right with them. I think that's to really underestimate the power of sin and evil, and it is not disciple-making. That's making converts. There's a huge difference. If we look quickly in John 12, 31, as Jesus was facing the cross, he says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. We need to recognize how badly Satan has harmed, messed up, and oppressed humanity. Brothers and sisters and friends, Satan is the culprit and not God. God, I've said before, takes a bad rap because he's the sovereign. We're going to look at this in a minute. And we're going to see that it's our fault and Satan's, not God's. Under Satan's rule, the world has been thoroughly corrupted and humanity has been brutalized by sin and wickedness. And Jesus came to reverse all that, to show us what to do and how to get out of Satan's oppressive grasp. And in our Thoughts today in this lesson here in John chapter 5. I think we're going to see this, and there's um, four different ways here, just in this little narrative in this story, that Jesus dealt with evil. Okay? How he dealt with evil. So let's go to John 5 and take a look at this the story of the healing of the fellow at the well of Bethsaida or Bethesda, however your translation has it. There's some disagreement about exactly what this pool was called, at the sheep gate, but I don't think we should let that distract us. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. You know, I could cite you a lot of impressive statistics about disease in the world. And you've probably read some of those. But I'm not. Because everyone here has been afflicted, either personally or in their family or friends, by some disease that's in the world. Whether it's from colds and flu that we're all kind of experiencing right now, Diabetes, chronic headaches, back trouble, cancer, lupus, heart disease, you name it, and some of these real exotic things are so rare and they're so scary and terrible that we don't even want to talk about them. There's disease in the world. I used to think that all of these diseases were a direct result 
of God's curse on the planet. Maybe you thought that, and maybe you think that now. And if I'm going to I'm going to express my thought on that now, and I'd like to hear your feedback on this. But I don't believe that anymore. I go to Genesis three, and I see the curse, and I don't see anything there about disease, and I don't even see anything there about death. What I think happened was this. When man, meaning Adam and Eve, chose to listen to Satan rather than God, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and not the tree of life, the control of this planet moved from God to Satan. And mankind gave their allegiance to Satan. And that's where all the bad stuff started. I know God cursed the ground. We can read it and caused the problems with childbirth in the woman. But I think everything else has come from Satan. Let's go to Acts 10.38. Satan's rule has been oppressive. He's brought the disease and the affliction. You remember Job? Satan appeared before God and says, Hey, and God says, How's everything going, Satan? He says, Well, it's all right. But he says, You consider my servant Job? And he says, Well, yeah, but you're protecting him from me. You got a hedge around him. So God says, All right, all right. You can, you can touch his body. Remember the story? Acts 10.38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth. This is Peter's, part of Peter's lesson to the house of Cornelius. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And there's another one I don't have on the list. Luke 13, 16. The woman that was bent over, Jesus healed her on the Sabbath. And, you know, they were saying, you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. He says, shouldn't this woman who has been bound by Satan be free? It gives you a whole different look on things, doesn't it? That the evil comes from the devil and not from God. And this is why Jesus came to show us the real face of God and to free us from the grasp of the devil. We see this as one of the main parts of Jesus' ministry, don't we? Healing all the diseases, infirmities that mankind had. I don't have it in the lesson, but I love the one passage of Scripture that talks about they brought him all these people and they just kept coming and coming. And it says he healed every one, every one of them. As to show the compassion of God and that this was not God's plan 
and to fight against evil. Many faith communities have taken a cue from Jesus, haven't they? They've built hospitals and clinics to heal the sick. This is one way that we show our compassion and understand that this is not the way the world should be, to minister to those who are sick and to help them recover. So if you've been doing that lately, helping your spouse or child or someone else in your family get well, you've been doing the work of the Lord. Even if you've been cleaning up the mess, you know what I'm talking about. You've been doing the work of God. So, Jesus dealt with disease and illnesses of all kinds. Second thought, let's read on, John 5 and 5. A man was there who was, had, has been Ill, had been ill for 38 years. All right, One of this group, this multitude, and this is a, a great pool there, and the porticos means porches. It's a pretty large area, I understand, room for lots and lots of people. When Jesus saw him lying there, I knew he'd already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, do you wish to get well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But, excuse me. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. But Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Jesus' question here in verse 6 seems a little bit odd, you know. <laughs> Man's laying there. Obviously, he's sick. Uh, Jesus, so you want to get well? He's like, well, why, why shouldn't I want to get well? That's why I'm here. But anyway, Jesus always challenges us, doesn't he? He makes us focus in on the situation, and maybe this guy was just... You know, I'm, I'm never going to get well. I'm just going to lay here the rest of my life. But anyway, he challenges him, and his response in verse 7 is the second thing we want to look at as far as how sin has permeated our society and humanity. And as I read this over and I was doing this lesson, I just, the more I read that verse, the more it hurt me. He says, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. How inconsiderate, uncaring, and selfish people are. It's another mark of sin. 38 years. Now, I don't know if he had been laying there 38 years. He's had the disease 38 years, the infirmity. But he's obviously been around that pool for a long, long time, many years. And in all that time, not one man, not one woman offered to help him. That's horrible sin. 
He just lay there. How lonely this man must have been. How dispirited, demoralized, and without hope. Especially as he saw others who were able to get into the pool or had friends to help them get into the pool. But he said, Sir, I have no one. How many people in the world are like this today? They have no one. They live in isolation by themselves. No one even to talk to. No friends. No one to help them in a time of need. Isolation is a terrible result of sin. Where people are alone. Jesus was the paraclete. Remember that word? The paracletos. He said, I'll send you another paracletos, meaning the Holy Spirit. One who comes alongside to help. That's what Jesus did if we look at the big picture. He came down here to come alongside us to help us deal with sin and return to God. And that's what he was here for this man. He came to help him. He didn't have to put him into the water. He could just speak, get up, and walk. But he was the paraclete. And the question is for you and me, are we the paracletos? Are we people who help those in need? We have people in our lives who are saying, I have no one to help me. It's a serious thought, but it's a reflection of sin. And Jesus here is showing us when someone's in need, we need to help. If we can do it, we need to help. Our next thought, the oppression of misguided religion. Verse 10. Well, the latter part of Dan said, now it was, on the sab- it was the Sabbath on that day. Numbers, that was in 9. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, all right, it is the Sabbath. It is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? I read this, I got mad. I got mad. You should get mad too. Lots of rules, no compassion. Lots of do this and don't do that, but no solutions for life's problems. That's what this was. That's what the Jewish religion had become, rules. 
Notice this. This man had been there 38 years. They probably knew the guy. I'm sure they did. You know, they were around all the time. What did they ask him? Here, here he is walking. Here he is walking after all this time. And what did they ask him? They don't ask him, who healed you? They said, who told you to pick up your pallet? It was all about the rules. What were they saying? We don't care about you. We don't care about your disease. Follow our rules. We don't care about your needs. Just follow the rules. We don't care about your troubles. Just follow the rules. We don't care about your difficulties or your problems. Just follow the rules. We don't care about your struggles with sin or temptation. Just follow the rules. That's what religion does. Calloused religion. Such religion, religion misses the whole point of Jesus' coming for us to be able to deal with sin. What kind of religion do we have? Is it like that? Just follow the rules? Or do we really care about people? Where they are, do they understand the truth? Are we helping them through life, deal with life's problems? Whether it's a sin problem or a sin-related problem or a sin-affected problem, what are we doing? The last thought, John 13, um, 5.13, but the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Now here, maybe we connect the most with Jesus' mission. Don't sin anymore. Jesus said that to others, didn't he? The woman taken in adultery. I'll not condemn you, but go and don't sin anymore. Some have thought from Jesus' words that maybe this disease or problem or condition that the man had was brought on by his own sin, his own personal sin, which is quite possible because that can happen, can it? We get into drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality and sleeping around, we can just bring on all kinds of disease on ourselves, can't we? So we can do it to ourselves, but sometimes that's not the case, and we just get sick for some reason. So I don't know if that's the case here or not. It could well be. But I think what Jesus is really saying here, just remember what matters. Don't sin anymore. I'm probably referring to the end of time and the judgment and where you would lose your soul. And so, of course, we know that that's, Jesus really came to deal with that, didn't he? Ultimately, that we can be forgiven and reconciled to the Father. And that's why we really have all these problems to begin with, isn't it? Because we have turned away from the Father. We've gone the way of the world. We've followed our own ways. As Isaiah says, your sins have separated you from your God. And when we're separated from God, 
Guess who rules our lives? Satan. And that's when all the trouble starts. That's when we get it all messed up and twisted and get off the rails. So, the words are for us. Go and sin no more. Unless something worse happens to you. Let's finish it out. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Just want to make this note here. Please remember this. We always say this, we know this, Jesus suffered for us. He gave his life for us. And that's true. But also remember that Jesus suffered with us. He came and suffered with us in the body. As we were suffering, he took, I think one passage says he even took our diseases and infirmities upon himself, doesn't it? He took our sin, our sins, upon his own body on the tree. Not just for us, but with us. Here, he was persecuted by these Jews for what he was doing. He suffered with us. He took on flesh and suffered with us. But then I love verse 17. This has always been and ever will be. My father is working until now. The father continues to work. And I myself am working. And the Savior, the Son, continues to work. And the thought is they work and they're fighting against sin. That's the work they do. To bless us in the face of evil. What's Psalm 23 say? David says, you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Those are the kind of things God does for his people. He always works and always will. If you are a Christian, are you helping God in his task to fight against the oppression of sin and to free those who are oppressed? Are you helping him out? I can't answer that for you. Read the story again. Get angry. Get upset. See what was going on with that man and understand it still happens today. That sin affects everybody in thousands of ways. If you're not a Christian, I'll ask you this morning, how is Satan oppressing you? Because he is. He is. He has you, first of all, separated from your God. He's probably got you believing lies. Offering excuses to why you won't obey the gospel. Uh, he's got you, don't worry. How much you might deny it, he's got you where he wants you. But you can break out of that today. Just say a little thing to Satan right now. Get behind me. I'm going to serve the Lord. 
Why don't you come while we stand and sing?